welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Next up on the ABCA podcast is Boston Red Sox catching coordinator Tyson Blazer. Blazer is ending his first season with the Red Sox after six years working in the Yankees organization. Blazer signed a free agent contract with the Yankees out of the University of Iowa in 2011. Blazer spent four seasons playing in the Yankees organization. After he was released, Blazer started coaching and teaching at United Township High School in the Quad Cities. Blazer still gives lessons to youth and high school players in the offseason. It's a special episode for me since Tyson played for me at the University of Iowa from 2007 to 2011. In this episode, we cover tips on getting a job in pro ball, all ages catching development, how to handle players with injuries, and how to make things work in pro ball with your family. Let's welcome Tyson Blazer to the podcast. All right, here with Tyson Blazer, first year's Red Sox catching coordinator, uh, six years coaching the Yankees org, but signed free agent out of Iowa and uh, still gives lessons in the offseason in the Quad City. So, Tyson, thanks for being on with me. Man, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, you and I go way, way back. So, this is fun for me. Um, I, I do want to jump right in. Um, Right now, what's the difference of getting a job in pro ball than when you first started? Um, you know, it's more about, you know, what you know than who you know. I think pro ball used to be about having those connections in, in pro ball. Um, and when you were kind of in it, um, they stayed within that, that group. And and now pro ball has grown exponentially in, in the way we look at things and the, how we do things. And so, you know, if you're good at your job and you're good at what you do, um, they're going to find you. What well, are tips for somebody – you know, because obviously you played and then you jumped in, but we have so many examples now of, you know, Berto Mercado is a good friend. He was in high school. He's managing the Orioles organization now. But, you know, any tips for somebody that's trying to get into it that might help them? Yeah, I think, too, just like ABCA has grown so large and it's incorporated so many more pro teams than, than ever, um, there's a reason for that. Um, colleges have always been um, a little bit ahead of the pro game in creativity and, and how they look at leveraging data to get their guys uh, better. Um, you know, pro ball's always had the, the means, whereas in, you know, college, 
D3, JUCO, those guys are finding ways to get better um, and and using the tech that they do have uh, to get these guys better and show improvement. So I think understanding the tech, being able to use it, show that the you guys are getting better and then putting yourself out there a little bit so people um, see you and, and you have some communication with, with people and uh, talk about what you know and, um, you know, just show that you're very, very confident in what you do um, and, and good things will happen. Hey, was your first year as a member the year you spoke 2020 in, in Nashville? Yes, it was. I was thinking about that. Um, yeah. You know, I, and I will, it's I will almost be a like member the winter meetings now there. Um, you know, you look at the amount of people that are getting interviewed at the ABC convention. It, it has like a, a winter meeting feel to it almost with people getting jobs out of the ABC convention. Yeah, and, and informal interviews at, at that too. Sometimes it's just a uh, they have an idea of some guys that they want to see and then talk to and poke around. Um, so sometimes you're getting interviewed and you don't even know it. Hey, was COVID a positive or a negative for you because it delayed your managing career? Um, I think it was a positive on, on a few fronts. Um, made me kind of look at uh, what I really wanted to do. Um, gave me plenty of time to think. Um, and for everything that COVID was and was not, for me, it was huge to be able to slow down and, and be with my family. So just looking back at that and being able to spend a summer with my family and be able to just to pour into them and, and be with them, like that is a summer that uh, won't happen again. So that that was that that was the silver lining of, of COVID there for me. How do you make family work in pro ball? It's tough. I'm, I'm still I'm still learning how to do it on, on this side of it. Because I mean, Holly and the kids were with you last summer, correct? They stayed in the hotel, yeah. right? I mean, you had a house oh, in the Quad man. Cities and they stayed with you in the hotel last summer, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, up until this year, we've always uh, spent the summers uh, together uh, in a hotel room. So in in Staten Island in 18 and, and 19, we were in a hotel room that felt like it was a 10 by 10 room where we were doing our dishes and our laundry um, and showering all in the same tub. Uh, we had, you know, uh, two kids in one bed, me and my wife in the other. Most nights all four would be in one bed. Um, so it was just like, you may do. And, and my wife has been a, a trooper with it, um, you know, and, and so this year has been a welcome change where they have a little bit more normalcy at home and, and I can get home, you know, every so often. I mean, that's a benefit of being a coordinator, correct? Is, is I mean, you don't have a lot of time because you're going to the DR and you're all over the place, but at least you can maybe carve out some time to get home where if you're managing, you can't do that. You can't leave the team. Yeah, exactly. You can't leave the team. And, you know, on the coordinator side of it, it's like, Sometimes it's good to to step away and, and let the coaches coach and, and make sure that we're touching base with them and, you know, trying not to be a super coach, just trying to make sure that, you know, our guys um, are doing what, you know, we've hired them to do and, and the skill set that they have and, and utilize that and then just be a resource for them and hopefully put together a, a program that's going to drive some results. By the way, my dad was coaching summer ball when I was a little kid, so we did the same thing. Uh, we would be in Princeton, Illinois during the year, and then we'd be in Galesburg, and I, I, my crib was in a closet um, in yeah. the hotel that, that we lived in the first year, and then we actually lived with the players. Like, you would never do this right now. <laughs> we actually lived with the players in a college summer house. So our family, my brother, my mom, my dad, we lived with the players at a huge house yeah. in Galesburg, Illinois. So like that's some of my first memories as a kid when I was like four and five was being at the field, but living in a house with college kids. 
my my kids crack me up. They, they you know they think we have like all like four or five different homes, and I'm like, no, no, we ain't got that kind of dough, guys. And uh, but it's funny. So last year they thought they were pretty special because um, minor leaguers got their housing paid for for last year for first time. Good deal for them. Uh, but we were all at the same hotel, coaches and, and players. And so my, my kids would come back to the hotel, and the players would say hi to them. They, they thought they were they thought they were the coolest thing ever. So it was fun. Do you think that was the best thing with the changes for the minor league guys was not having to find housing coming out of spring training? Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, going back just to my playing times, at one point we were in a three bedroom house. There was, you know, two in the living room um, that we split up, one in the dining room. We had three upstairs and everyone upstairs had a, a wife or a fiance or a girlfriend. Um, and we were just trying to to make ends meet. And so the fact that they don't have to do that, that the, they they have the money that's paid for them, and and now even on top of that, they're getting a little bit more uh, bump in pay, uh, getting paid more months of the of the year. Um, you know, there's going to be more changes to come and of what that looks like. Um, but I think it allows people to chase it a little bit longer and you know m- try to make a career out of it. Yeah. Does do you have to be a manager to get a coordinator's job? Does that does that no. help? Does does it help if you manage? Yeah, I think doing the job it helps. I, I you know getting in the room. I don't know if it helps. I, I know the man. Excuse me. The the managerial portion of it for me was a huge uh, uh, growth for for me as a as a as a coach is um, organization. Um, how to deal with people. How to manage people. How to put together daily schedules. How to put together you know a program. And so that was a a huge. Um, step in, in my progression. Um, but no, I, I, you don't have to go from a manager to a, um, to a coordinator. I think some of these private sector guys that have are running programs are running, you know, 50, 60, 70 kids through and in three days and then have a, uh, a program that's tech driven and, and data driven and pushing uh, results and can show they're getting guys better that those guys are going to get noticed and they're going to be um, looked at to come in and and be in a coordinator position that they could put that program in place and then let the coaches coach. And you ran the Yankees complex, correct? The year after COVID. Yeah. You know, and 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 that I mean that's a coordinator's position, isn't it? I mean I know you have a coordinator, but you're coordinating the 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 Tampa complex, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you don't get the fancy title for that, but you you get to do all the fun stuff that gets involved with that. And uh, that was the biggest year of development for uh, for me. Uh, running a schedule, touching base with departments, make sure everyone's on the same page. Um, you know, also trying to manage on, on top of that and, and uh, just what that entails and, and the amount of time it puts in. Um, I think my wife, of all the years in baseball, that was the toughest for her and, and the kids. Um, but I, I think it set us up for where we're at. Did you have to release anybody last summer? Yeah. And you had to yeah. have that conversation? Yeah. Yeah, that that's the worst part, man. Like, um, you know, uh, on the professional side of things, there has to be, especially as a manager, you have to build these, you know, uh, personal relationships with people, right? Like, like you care for them deeply, whether you like the kid or don't like the kid, you spend so much time with them, you love them. That it's like, it's a part of what you do, but then you have to be able to separate. And so at one point last year, I had to bring in, you know, three kids after the game, you know, one right after the other. And by the time I, I went to grab the third kid, everybody in that entire locker room had stopped doing anything and they were all sitting down. No music was on. And they were just kind of waiting to see if that was going to be the last one, if I was coming out for another one. Um, it was, it was 
it's a bad feeling. Um, it's not something you like to do, uh, but it is part of the game. Who told you you were done? Um, kind of uh, inferred, and then it was uh, it was kind of a weird. Day. I came in after after be after uh, the last day of spring training and uh, second to last day of spring training. I had made it through a couple a last day of cuts and final cuts, and I and I thought I had made a roster. And uh, went to the double-A roster that that thought that's where I was going to be. Wasn't there. Wasn't on the triple-A. Wasn't on the high-A. Wasn't on the low-A. And I was like, wasn't on the extended. I was like, well, if I'm not on any of these. And so I went and sat in my locker. And then someone came and tapped me. And uh, so they came and got me. Yeah. So that was how I ended up finding out that uh, my playing career was over. Was I the first person you saw after you got released? Yeah, I was gonna say probably pretty dang close. I, I was yeah, trying to, I, I was trying to think about the timeline because you, you came to Macomb fairly quickly after you got done. Yeah, I was trying to figure out what the heck to do. Um, I, I a high school or not a, a college job had had opened up, and I was thinking about applying for it. Um, I just got back, and we had, uh, I sat on the Gator and we drugged the infield, and uh, <laughs> we talked about. And you're like, do you really want to get into this? You know, it's 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 a commitment for you and the family. And I was like, I think I think so. This is what I want to do. So. I had the same talk with you that my parents had with me of like, is this what you really want to do? Like, it's not going to be easy. And then you take a high school job. I mean, did it help taking the high school job after you got done? Yeah. I, you know what, not on the baseball side of it, but, but, um, on the teaching side of it and teaching and, and coaching goes so, so hand in hand, um, you know, trying to figure out how to get through to a high level learner, a low level learner, the kid <clears throat> in between that doesn't want to do anything is, and is really gifted. And then the, the ones that try really hard and aren't gifted and just like, just trying to figure out how to reach all of those, uh, those kids and then figure out how to get through to them and, and, and make it work. Um, that well, I was talked to you that spring cool. and you're like, they do not listen. And I was like, <laughs> Hey, they don't care. They don't care that you played professional baseball. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like this generation of kids does not care that you played professional baseball. They just want to know what you can do for them. And that was the, you're like, they do not listen. I'm like, yep. That's this uh-uh. generation. They don't care. Yeah, they, they they all have lives, and it's the most important thing that's going on at that moment. It doesn't matter what you've done or did. It's like, what are you doing for me right now? Yep, that also allowed you to get your lessons going then, too. Yeah. You know, that yeah. I, that's the thing. It's like you stink. It stinks you got released. You're in high school, but then it allows you to get your lessons going in the Quad Cities. Yep. Always had given lessons for, you know, a long time. And then after getting released, I was able to, to ramp that up. And um, I think though, after getting released, it was just a – it was – kind of the that time where social media was just blowing up, right? Hitting Twitter was huge. Um, and just getting on and, and reading and watching and looking and it just started making me question some of the things that I knew and what I did and, and not being tied to an organization and, and a philosophy. I was able just to kind of explore all things um, and have a better idea of, you know, why they did this. Maybe I didn't like it. Maybe I did like it, but it, I was able just to uh, look at it all and uh, come up with a kind of what I believed in and then also just experiment a little bit and, and try some new things and not be worried about what other people were thinking, whatever people were doing. It was like, let's just try this and see if we can get better. Um, and I think that really helped me grow as a coach. Yeah, and we'll get in a little bit, some of that a little bit later on. Um, hey, what did you learn from your injuries at Iowa? Oh, my gosh. Uh, 
For anybody that doesn't know was, Tyson's path, he played five years at Iowa for us, and it seemed like every year you you were dang weird, weird things. We're at Louisville, yeah. you dive back in, the catcher comes behind on a base hit, you dive back in, you bang up your your hand, mm-hmm. and you know what what did you learn from all of those things? Um, that baseball did not define who I was. And that took a long time through that process to figure out because your identity is tied so much to what you do and what I had done. And that was baseball for forever and ever. And, you know, I felt like I was going to be able to go and play professionally. And and then I injury and injury and injury and small things. And it just like takes a toll on you mentally. And if I don't have baseball, then who am I? And what, what do I do? And what am I? Um, and so I think just having to work through that and kind of, you know, seeing my baseball mortality and it's like, and, and coming to grips with that, like I knew at that point that I was like, baseball didn't define me. I, I was going to be okay. I had an education. And so like, it t- took a while to get to that point, but that is what I had learned from, um, you know, my, my time in Iowa and, and the injuries I had. And it allowed me to be a decent professional uh, player because I got into professional baseball and I was playing on house money and I was just having a blast. It killed us, by the way, it killed our team that you, cause we were catching our third, third and maybe fourth guy at times. And that's not what right. that team was built for. We didn't have a ton of yeah, depth no. and those teams would have been a heck of a lot better if you would have stayed healthy. <laughs> it's making me feel you bad. Can't hide, again, you can't man. hide anybody <laughs> back there. That's the one position mm-hmm. you can't, it's the most important position on the field. You have to be good back there. You can't hide anybody yeah. back there. You can hide people other places, but not there. Hey, does that help you deal with players now? You're going to have injuries with the, the players that you coach. You know, it, does does that help you yeah. now? Because you've been there? Yeah, I think that, yeah. So, you know, you don't technically have to have experience to, to play in uh, pro ball, to coach in pro ball. Um, you know, the experience you don't have, you'll, you'll get as once you get into pro ball. But I think that, it has allowed me to relate to the players on a, a, a pretty personal level uh, with these guys. And, you know, I'd, I'd played it. I had gone through the injuries. I wasn't a very, uh, I wasn't a high prospect by any means. I was always a, a bench guy coming off the bench. And so like being able to relate to a majority, cause that's a majority of these guys, like a majority of these guys aren't your studs, aren't your top prospects. And so I think being able just to put myself in their shoes, cause I was, I lived it. I was in their shoes. Um, I think that, it really helped, and it just made it easier to be able to talk to these guys. I try to give coaches tips that, like, don't don't leave your injured players on an island. I mean, again, you said it, like, you feel like your identity's taken from you. Don't leave them alone because it's going to compound the fact that they're not on the field. No, no doubt. Should the expectations for a pro or college player be that it's going to be a bumpy ride? Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I, I think that uh, – um, adversity is just a huge part of what you do it's baseball you're going to get injured you're going to have roll an ankle you're going to do a, a hamstring a quad whatever it may be uh you're going to go over 30 at some point you know with, with 10 15 k's like the ones that haven't struggled at all when they get to pro ball you're going to struggle so at some point like I'm good with watching a, a guy have to go through it and fight his way through it and kind of see what happens on that side of it I'm sure you saw it as a coach it's like how are guys going to respond once they do struggle, because it's going to happen. All right. It, it's going to happen. It happens to everybody. I come in my freshman year at Iowa and it was a big fish, small, uh, small pond and just 
thought I was going to be really, really good. And, and I had two good catchers in front of me and it was struggled and I struggled to hit and it was hard. Um, but it, it just gives you a better perspective and, and shows you how to, you got to fight for everything that you're going to get. It was it Ben Gielen and Dusty Napoleon. Is that who's ahead of you? Yeah. It's two good yeah. ones to, to actually Dude, yeah, be around. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. We always had good catch I, and we couldn't keep them healthy all the time, but we had good catching there. We did. Yeah. Have you kept any of the drills from Iowa? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, I did one this, uh, spring training, um, and as part of the catcher Olympics, I do at the end of spring, um, guys bust or bud all, all springs. So we have a little bit of fun, little competition, but, uh, took one from, I think I was pretty sure it was Welker. Um, but, uh, we would, we block a ball, we catch a ball. You, you sprint out, you pick a bunt, you throw it to first, you slide back, you throw it to home. Uh, and the guys are just moving all over the place and it's, it's more fun than it is a skill, uh, building. Um, but I definitely took that one, uh, from, um, our preset blocks. We did a lot of, you know, preset hands on, on blocks and stuff like that. So I took some of that stuff. I think you take, you take drills from anywhere and everywhere. I, I equate it to teaching. Like teachers always, good teachers are always scraping material from other teachers. Um, you know, good coaches are always going to be scraping things from other coaches. If you could go back and tell your college self something, what would that be? Uh, take care of the body a little bit better. Uh, sleep is super important. Like you tried to, you tried to do it all. Um, you lift early um you run into class you might get a, a little lunch you, you get done you'd stay into the library too late and then on the weekends you're trying to you know burn the can on both ends where you're being a college student and an athlete um so i, I just tried would, to tell, tell you myself, guys i'd be like you can't i know be, you can't be good at all three you can't i mean they, nope. like those are anomalies and i think i was one of those guys but you can't be good academically, athletically, and socially. Like you can't be good. Yep. You can't be great at all three of those things. So you're going to have to give, hopefully you give the social piece up, but you, you can't be great at all three. Not, not now. Yeah. And then just uh, the older you get and the, the more experience you get, like the more perspective you have. And, and that would be something I would go back and, and tell myself is just like, don't do it all. Don't do it all. Be really good at a couple of things and, and try not to be average at everything. Mine would be, be easy on yourself for you. Yeah, that's true. Well, we'd be in the cage. You know, I was thinking about this uh, this morning, the shower. We'd be in the cage. You would crush nine in a row, yeah. and then you'd take one bad one, and you'd want to focus on that one bad one. And finally, I was like, hey, you just hit nine in a row. Let's focus on the on the good ones because it's just like anything else. You're, you, what you pay attention to, you're going to get. So if you pay attention to your, your bad reps – you're going to keep getting those bad reps. If you pay attention to your good reps, I always think about Ricky Henderson. I think Ricky Henderson was the best at self-talk and, and talking about himself. I mean, I don't think you can talk about yourself in third person like he did, but I thought Ricky Henderson was probably the best at just flushing it and keeping himself extremely positive in his self-talk. Yeah. yeah, I, I you nailed it. I, I still am that way, um, you know, to an extent, and it's something that, I've always dealt with and I, and I watch players do it. And, and so I always feel hypocritical and I'm like, Hey man, let's focus on the good ones, right? Baseball. You're going to, you're going to fail seven out of 10 times at the, at the plate. And you're going to be, you know, you're going to be moving your way up. Um, and it, it's tough. <laughs> I still am that way, even in my work, you know, and guys have bad game numbers don't come back. And I'm like freaking out. It's like, no, take a deep breath. <laughs> we're we're going to be all right. Let's stick to the process. We're doing things the right way. Hey, do you remember you used to say I should be a professor? 
<laughs> yes. And I and yeah. looking back now, I don't know if that was a compliment or not. I don't know if that that was a good thing or you meant you should be teaching instead of coaching. <laughs> no, no, it was, it was a good it was a good thing. You were you always you were, you were always ahead of the game on the on the mental side of it. Uh, you know, on on the self talk, and, and you were always ahead of the game there. Um, and I just remember always having conversations with you and walking away and kind of like Mr. Miyagi and me. I'm like, dang, dang. So. And you talked about being a big fish in a small pond because you went to a 1A school in Illinois. And mm -hmm. by the way, you dropped 30 points a game your senior year of high school. That, but that's why I was excited about getting you to Iowa because I knew how good an athlete you were. And I knew mm -hmm. you were going to figure it out at some point. Um, I liked our small school kids. I always liked small school kids. It took them a little bit to get adjusted, but I was excited just because of the type of athlete you were. Yeah. I, and still today, like when I look at guys, like I want athletes. And so, you know, right or wrong, agree, disagree. But when a guy goes out there and, and puts up numbers on, on the basketball court, on the baseball diamond, um, on the football field, uh, golf and whatever it may be, it's like, there's something innate in there that is, there's some athleticism, the body works. He knows the appropriate reception. He can, he can uh, make his body work and, and do what it wants. Um, and I think if you can do that, then you can, you're coachable and we can get you where you need to be. Remind me of Sal Fasano because he played at Evansville f for my dad. And Sal, if you look at Sal now, big dude, but athlete, really athletic, he could dunk. Um, and you, awesome. you wouldn't think that looking at Sal, but that's the type of athlete that Sal was. You know, how was the recruiting process for you? Um, uh, heavy late. Like, um, I'd done a couple, I, I played three sports, um, was never like big into, um, the exposure camps or, uh, AAU teams. And then like one summer I played out a, a team out of Chicago, um, went to area coach tryout in, in, uh, in Chicago performed pretty well. Um, name got out there. And then, so I had some things late, um, you know, I talked to Michigan State late, Eastern, um, UIC, Iowa, UIC, UIC was down between, too. yeah, it was down between UIC and, and Iowa. Um, Illinois jumped in really, really late to the process. Um, yeah, like a couple of days before I made my decision. So, uh, yeah, it, it was it was non-existent until it all happened pretty quick, which actually looking back on it, it was it was pretty nice. There was no stress for me involved. Like I didn't know what I didn't know at that point. I was just playing sports and having fun and then realizing that I probably could go play and, and baseball seemed to be the thing that I enjoyed to do the most. Well, and I try to relate that to parents and, and players, high school players and parents. It's like the longer you wait, the better off you're going to be. And I think with the new rules that we're putting in place, I think it's going to help kids delay their decisions to where you're going to see more of kids getting the right fit because they're waiting longer. And, and their development, you know, kids develop late. You're a late developer. Yeah. Um, I, I just think it's going to help parents and players and and coaches, college coaches too, because you're going to have to wait a little bit longer on the process, so you give kids more time to develop. Yeah, I love that on the on the baseball side of things, like late developers, and then next thing you know, by the time they're junior seniors, they're studs, and then they're in pro ball, and next you know they're playing the big leagues. Um, I think more so than any other sport you have got time to to develop and be a little bit of a late bloomer. Um, I've seen a bunch of pitchers that are like that. You know, they just come into their body, come into their own, figure out how the body works, and all of a sudden they're throwing 95 
Matt Dermody. Yeah, Derm. Still doing it. He's with uh, the Red Sox right now in AAA. Tell him I said hello. Good human hello. being. Yeah, he hey, is. what role do – you have great parents. So what role do parents play in, in maybe the recruiting process? Because I, I think they can hurt and they can also help. Yeah, so it was actually infuriating for, for me. Um, you know, my, my parents are fantastic and have always given me everything that I've ever needed, never wanted. Um, but they were very hands-off on decision-making process. They, they have been forever. And it, it's uh, like, hey, we'll, we'll talk through both sides of it, but we're staying neutral and you have to make the decision. Um, and, man, it was it, it was tough. You know, I I remember at first, like, I, you know, I'm – I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go to UIC and I'm gonna I'm gonna play baseball, um, good, decent baseball school. Finds himself in the regionals and and I'm gonna say okay. And I remember a couple of days he didn't say anything. I was so mad. I was like waiting for him to say yeah, all right, let's go. You know nothing. So I remember two days later coming into his office and saying, I'm gonna go to Iowa. It it fits me. It's 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 better for me. It's a, it's more of a college. It's not a commuter campus. Like and he's like okay. Nothing. Come give me something. But uh, yeah, they've always been um, supportive in all the decisions, uh, but really made me make my own decisions. And two of my favorites all time in the recruiting process were your parents. And so that's how I knew you had a little bit of a chance too. and parents listening in try to handle it the way that Tyson's parents did, because a college coach is going to appreciate that and know that you're probably not going to have a whole lot of issues with those parents when their kid shows up on campus. Yeah. My something my dad had told me and I I still remember it to this day. Um and just talking about like the recruiting process, but just even how to handle coaches. It was like, you know, hey, take as much as you possibly can away from the coaches that you like and take even more from the ones you don't. And and it just like it stuck to with me to still to this day because like the, the good ones are going to shape you. And the ones that you don't like are going to create an identity for you. Cause like, all right, Hey, I'm going to do this slightly different. I'm going to do this slightly different. And you already have that foundation from the, from the good coaches that you took things from. So I, I, I still sticks in my head still to this day. And then still something that, that I look at. And I think it, it opens your mind too of just not dismissing anybody or, or saying that coach is out to get me or he's not a good coach. It's like, no, it keeps me open. What can I learn from him? What, what it, can I learn in spite of them? What can I learn that they do do well? Um, so I just, I thought it was a really, really good advice that I'd got from my father. Has there been much difference between the, the way the Yankees run things and the way the Red Sox run things? I know you can't get into a lot of details <laughs> with that, which I, I, I knew, I knew there aren't, I just wanted to put it in there. I know you can't get into details, but ah, is, is there um, much of a difference? I mean, they are rivals in the same division, and they've been yeah, rivals. Man. It's the best rivalry you have in baseball is Yankees and Red Sox. Yeah, they. I mean, there's definitely the, the competition aspect of it, no doubt. Um, but at the end of the day, no. Like, the ultimate goal um, of any organization is to put as many players you possibly can into the big leagues to help the, the big club win. Um so I don't care how it happens. Um, and yeah, so some of our processes are different than the Yankees and, and vice versa. Uh, none better than the other one. Uh, um, this, they have their beliefs. Red Sox have our beliefs. And um, to be honest with you, it's just if we can win and put people in the big leagues, like that's that's all that matters. How has the travel been with your new job? This has been good. Um, yeah. Is this I mean, the first little, time you've gone to the DR? 
No, I'd, I'd gone a couple times with, with the Yankees. Um, I, 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 I love it down there. It's, it's very, very enjoyable. Like the, the kids are, they're kids and, and it's just, they're just sponges, man. And they just want to hear and, and learn, um, on anything that you put down there. So it's just like, it's enjoyable. It, you go down there, it, it's happy. It's baseball at its purest form. Um, so I very much enjoy my my time going down there. So first trip was awesome. Hopefully get back there in about a month. What's the youngest age kid you have at the complex for the Red Sox? Uh, 16. Uh, I know there's like a early, uh, there's a weird rule where you can get a kid at 15 and you can't play that year and then 16, but have to fall into a uh, those parameters. But 16. Um, and now because of the new rules in the minor leagues, if a player comes from the DR to uh, the U.S., they count toward your total number, and that number keeps dwindling. Um, so, you know, consequently, you're going to see a, a few more kids stay down in the DR probably a little bit longer. Um, your numbers are going to be a little bit higher. So, you know, you're still going to have your 17-, 18-year-old kids that come over that, you know, are really advanced, but you're going to probably see a few more, you know, 19-, 20-, 21-year-old kids, um, you know, coming over because it's – it's it's hard. It's competition. There's only four teams that you're making: one rookie ball team, and uh, you know your DSL teams. Two of them usually, and so it's it's tough. It's it's tough to be in pro ball. Is that where the off season with you going back to the Quad Cities? You're working with younger kids there. Does that allow you to stay sharp with what you're doing? Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's a huge part of it. It's my playground. I say it's it's fantastic. Like. Um, I, I enjoy giving lessons. I, I've got a, a high school group we do on Sundays and anywhere between 10 to 15 catchers come in and you build a, a bond. But like I, I get to, you know, try some things out with them and work on some things. And I'm learning from them because they're not as refined as my big guys. So they just figure out a way to get get some things done. I'm like, why why are you doing that? Like, I, I don't know. It's how I can get to the ball. Like, OK. And then so you're, you're picking little things from it and also teaches you some patience with my my wife would probably tell you I, I need more of, but I also have like eight and 10 year olds and I shake your head sometimes. So you really, where are like, you hey, starting with the eight to 10 year olds? Where are you starting with them? I mean, hopefully yeah. they're able to just catch the ball, but I've seen your videos. You're not doing a whole lot. You're you're not dumbing it down a whole lot for those guys. You're, you're going after it with your drill stuff with those little guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, with the little guys, like they can still do all the all, all the drills that we do at uh, our level. It's about setting them up for success and maybe using lighter balls and obviously turning it down and how hard you flip it. Um, but our young guys on the catching side of it, I always start with telling the, the parents like, hey, we'll do this. This is fine. But you're probably better off just going to the backyard and, and, and playing catch um, at the end of the day. So. That's my ultimate advice. Probably turns away. That's the culture of the parents me, now too, though, right? Like it I, is. It, it, it's just the culture of the parents. Um, yeah. I, you know, I don't get that piece. I worked with a little kid the other day, and so I gave his mom wiffle balls and tennis balls. I said, "Hey, yeah. I, I'll keep doing this with him, but he needs to find some self mastery in the backyard. And here, take these wiffle balls and tennis balls. He's gonna get as much out of that." With, with micro-dosing and throwing a ball against the wall and playing catch with himself than he is anything that I'm going to be able to do for him. No doubt. No doubt. So with your pro catchers, where are you starting with them? From the ground. Start from the ground, work up. Um, I think it's the most important thing is just 
can we pocket the baseball cleanly every single time? We we can we can get into some of the nuances of glove path, glove path efficiency, attack angles, but I'm looking for our guys to be in a good athletic position and then pocket the baseball. If we can dumb it down to just that, we can expunge on a lot of different things and go in a lot of different areas. And, you know, I'm not going to get super in depth to, you know, what is we do in, in, our, in our philosophies, but stay below the ball, pocket the baseball. If we can do those things, we're going to be all right. And that's a barrier of entry to get into pro ball, correct? A scout's not going to not going to turn a catcher in that can't pocket the baseball, correct? Yeah, so cuz that elim- exactly. I mean that eliminates a lot of the guys. They're they're not even going to get to you if they can't pocket the baseball. Or, or am I win. or am I wrong on that? I mean, do you have some guys that clank it? Oh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I think I think everybody does, but I, I, the guys that are clanking it, I think, are probably more just getting they're in their own heads um, on some things. But um, it really depends on what Major League Baseball decides to do in the next five years. Because um, if they end up going to an automated zone fully, you are going to see some guys that just doesn't really. As long as you can catch the ball somehow, you're going to see dudes that are going to be hitting tough balls for me to feet. watch that. I, Same. I love the catching position. I love it. Mm-hmm. I always have. And I just, I have an affinity for guys that can just make it look good. Uh, yeah. Just, uh, you have the same yeah, set can... pregame routine for all your catchers or you give them some uh, freedom on what they're doing. Yeah. So we have a, a foundation of um, kind of what it needs to look. We got a little check uh, list of what our guys need to check off. Um, and then there's some individual individualization at, at each level uh based off the catcher um and kind of what he needs a little bit more you know guys not moving side to side we'll we'll have a little bit more blocking put in there if a guy is you know not as he's struggling on the glove side we we put in a few more glove side drills but at the at the foundation of it it, it's all the same then we'll just customize it based off of uh the needs from a receiving standpoint with the glove with the presentation piece i mean how much has that changed over the years or has it changed Hardly at all. Because, I mean, I was a quarter turn. Yeah. But, I mean, I, it seems like everybody's thumbed down for the most part now when they start. Yeah, so definitely. I, I was I was a quarter, quarter turn guy, right? Um, you know, I think across baseball right now, majority of people are going to say that, you know, the glo- that thumb has got to be at 3 o'clock or 6 o'clock um, if it starts getting turned up at all. Um, just putting yourself in, in a tough position where the glove's going to have to move late right before catch. Be- before catch – the, the thumb always is going to go down. Like you just look at anybody catching a ball below their waist, the thumb goes down. Um, so did I, you have to tinker around with that as a coach? Cause I, for me, like I, you know, as you evolve, there's new teachings and I would always have to try to go through it myself. Did you have to try to tinker around with that with thumb down from a presentation standpoint? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, yeah. I, I still get back there and, and do some drills with uh, our guys and, um, my lesson guys in the off season. And when I was managing uh, Sunday, fun day, I would always throw on the gear and I'd go back there and I, and I would catch, uh, I'd give the catchers the off day and, and I would catch the sides on Sunday, but it, and they thought it was great, but it was, it was more for me to get back there and feel some of the things that, you know, I'm telling them to do and reminding myself, it is not easy. <laughs> I loved getting back there, but I never put gear on. I know. I watch you. <laughs> I don't know what you were doing, man. <laughs> Kevin Lee, day in the bubble. Oh, people.
people still talk about that. That's a great story. We had a poor, and, and Kevin's doing great. I still talk to him. He lives in LA, but a poor freshman catcher. He's a dual kid. He ended up being a great pitcher for us, but yeah. he could not catch the ball. And so I jumped <laughs> back there. I was like, hey, you're making this way too difficult. Just be soft with your hands and just catch the baseball. The general, what a guy. Uh, hey, how are you getting your American players ready to call pitches? That is a great question. Because DR, uh, you probably, those guys probably call pitches, right, in the DR? So yeah, yeah. It's a trial by error. Um, you know, on I get it at the college level that your job is dependent on, on winning. Um, and so these guys are, you know, either have got the – earpieces now or whatever they do. And then a lot of them are just getting it's the, calm, the wristband the cards and yeah. And so it's something we struggle with. Um, you know, people are like, what are you doing? And to be honest with you, I, I throw it a lot on our, our pitching guys. They're the ones that are working with the pitchers every single day. They know exactly what they need to do, what their, what their goals are. Um, you know, how much they're supposed to throw a pitch and um, their strengths and their weaknesses. So, as our catching coaches, what we talk to them is like, you are the support for the pitching coach. So make sure that we're not saying anything different than, than they, than they need. Um, and then make sure we're on the same page and push on the pitching coaches to, to involve our catchers in the game planning every single day to uh, make sure that we are on the same page. And then during game, just talking through them. I hate when people are like, that's the wrong pitch. It's never a wrong pitch. You can throw the best pitch and you can go for a homer. You can throw the worst pitch and you can be strike three. Yeah, there are better pitches in that in that situation. So it's always like, hey, what was another option there? Um, because I, the worst thing you can do is start to get in the guy's head or make them start second guessing uh, the fingers that they're throwing down. Um, I think it's an education process and building up their confidence uh, to be able to. St- think through it and then be able to, to verbalize what's going on in their head. And if you start clouding that up, then the fingers don't work as well. And, and we start making some interesting decisions. So long answer, it goes to the pitching coach, to our catching coach, and then an education process with our catchers in game and then pregame. With, with pitchers now, not some still have great feel, but, most don't have great feels. So when you're calling or trying to call pitches, are we setting guys up as much as the hitter? Or are we just going, it just seems like guys are just trying to blow guys away with their stuff now rather than set guys up. Yeah. Throw, throw your, throw your best pitch. Like we don't worry a whole lot about um, hitters with weaknesses. There's varying levels as you continue to move up the, the levels of the minor leagues. But for the most part, throw throw the pitcher's best pitch. One to doubt, throw the, the, the pitcher's best pitch. So, you know, to to your point, yeah, there some of the sequences get a little bit muddy. They get better and cleaned up as they go up. You see more of that. I think especially at the AAA level where those guys have had big league time. Um, they know how to pitch a little bit more. Um, but at the lower levels, for sure, it is pitcher strength. And throw that. And How are you helping catchers figure that out with the pitchers? Like what the pitcher's best pitch is? Yeah, that is that's a, a fun party. We talk with them all the time. All right, coaches at, at each individual level talk with them. Hey, this is the next pitcher. What are what are his strengths? You know, what's his what's his out pitch? We're, we're, you know, what are we working on? Um, so that's the questions we ask those guys all the time. Is from a catching standpoint, they're expected to know that. You, you're expected to know your staff. And, and what they do and and not ask them to do something that they're that they can't 
how do you stay patient when you're asking somebody to, to make a change and, and they may not get it right away? It's tough. It is, it is that, like, that is a really good question. Um, it's funny. People say, when you say good question, you're just buying some time for, for the answer. Um, yeah, they, I think that the toughest part about it is just that, see, you got me all stumbled up. It's a, it's a, it's a good question, man. Well, I mean, is there a realistic timeline for that? I mean, I, you know, for me, I, that was hard for me. And I think I got better at it. I, I think that was something I always needed to, to get better at as a coach is you're asking players to make changes, but they may not get it right away. And so you got to give them some grace that it may take them a little bit to work through it. Yeah. So what we find out here is what, what is that grace period? Because we are so uh, numbers driven and, looking at sample size. So if a guy, we make a change, we know we're going to have to stick with it until we have enough sample size before we can see an emerging trend or if we can see a an actual um, enough of a sample to say, hey, it's worked or it's not worked. And then you have to get to that point and you have to say, okay, well, is it going to work? Is he just still struggling to the point? So that's where the baseball field kind of comes into it. But it is, it's hard. It's it's hard to have patience because of just the, the you look at at those numbers every day and they start to tick down and they're ticking down and they're ticking down and you're like it seems like he's not getting it. it's not taking hold but it looks better like so now are we making the change because the numbers are ticking down but yet visually it's looking better or is it something like hey all of a sudden it looks terrible but the numbers are trending up so it's it, it's a give and take the patience part of it that is a hard thing um especially when you're in the trenches with the guys like you make that change you want them to happen right now on the more macro level, on the, on the coordinator side, like I want the numbers to be, you know, good, but I like, I'm also have to have more patience. And I'm talking with our coaches like, Hey, give them, give them another week, give them another week. So probably have more patience there than I do at home. <laughs> how, do, how do you nurse the the player through that though? Cause they're competitive. They want to do well. They want to throw their best bolt out there every time. Mm -hmm. How do you nurse the players through being patient with it too? I think it helps when if you have a good relationship with the player. So if they have a good relationship with a, an individual coach at the level or for the, and the coordinator, you, know, you sit down with them like, all right, this is where you're at. This is where we want you to go. We understand this is where you're at since the change has happened. Um, and then talk them through. I'm very transparent with how I go about things. I want them to know exactly what they're being evaluated on and then show them where they're at show them the numbers, show that they're creeping up, creeping down, and then have honest conversations with these guys. So we know, hey, you weren't very good. We're going to make the uh, a change to hopefully get to here. Two weeks in and be like, hey, we've ticked up a little bit. It's not looking great. How do you feel? Where are you at? How are you mentally? Okay, hey, I think we're still on the right path. We are trending up over the last week. We're going to stick with it. You know, another weekend, also not having an ego on my side of it to be like, hey, all right, did not work. All right. We've watched plenty of film. We've we've got enough data now. Let's we're gonna make the change and we're gonna go here. Um, so you just hopefully you uh are more successful time more times successful than not, because then you start to lose that guy's trust. But that's how I go about it. Hey, catchers throw the most out of anybody. So what type of arm care are guys doing? Like pre pre-game to get ready. Are they doing J bands, plyo throws? Are they doing any of the stuff that the pitchers are, are using? Yeah, so I know that'll be an, um, kind of an off-season point for us and, and our throwing program, but um, our guys do some plyo stuff before the game, for sure. Which ones do they do? They've got uh, – each one of them have a, a set kind of routine from 
I know our guy in high A has had one from last year. Our, our guy just last night has got a uh, one that he goes through plyos with some exchange stuff and, and get the arm working from an angle. Um, so I think it's kind of an individualized. We want to standardize it a little bit more going into next year um, so we can maximize our offseason. They long toss much? With the starting pitcher. So, you know, it's depending on what the starting pitcher does. Um, I'm not huge on long toss. I think it's for the guys individual. Like I want them to be able to have some force behind it and be able to, to keep the ball on, on a line because <clears throat> guys can throw the ball and long toss um, and throw that ball thousand feet in the air and not put a whole lot behind it. I, I like a little bit more behind it. They play. So they, they warm up the pitcher then pregame. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, the whole, are they with them the whole time? Yes. The whole time. Love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Love it. When so. are when are they getting any sort of in and out throws in? I know pro ball is a little bit different with how you guys do in and out. I know you you don't do it as much. It's probably before uh, batting practice, correct? If you're going to do it, yeah. So each that's what's crazy. Each that's why I'm, I I love going to minor league games, but I don't like going to minor league games because you you miss some of the stuff that happens before batting practice. Oh no doubt. Um, I think. Each schedule at each affiliate is slightly different. Um, you know, we want if our guy, if our starting guy is thrown, he's playing four to five times a week, right? Like if we do some exchange work, if we do some throwing stuff, it's probably going to be short. Um, it's going to be between before the game. When I say short, kind of short before the bases because he's getting nine throws in, and we want him every other inning to to let it eat a little bit. The the backup guy is going to throw at least one one time a game, um, usually right before BP. Um, and if we get there on the road, we'll get out there early. Our pitchers usually do so that we can throw at that time if we got enough time on the field. But our backup guy probably one time a week and our starter guy, um, maintenance. Their arms hang much? Yeah, you know what? Not – yeah, you have, you have your instance, but for the most part, not as much, man. Like uh, You think it's just all the, the training stuff that they're doing now? I think it is. I think just the routines and, and they're throwing every day and – they're cognizant of, of what it is that we're trying to do and we're not overworking them. And there's something to be said, pit, catchers throw more than anybody on the, on the baseball field. How do you relay to them about taking a little bit off the throw, but not losing their release point? Yeah. Um, I'm huge on slow it, slow it down. Um, I want the ball coming out. Uh, I think your body has to work together, right? So uh, we can look really, really good at footwork exchange and being right here. Like, I've seen plenty of guys look really good there and then you have to put it all together. Um, so I would like, Hey, slow it down, get it in the hand, get out front, feel the release point, but we're going to, we're going to let that ball um, get out of the hand. Um, so we're, we're feeling the body and feeling the sequencing and getting in our back hip and being able to attack the throw. Um, all of those things is, is, is huge. The sequencing for me is, is an unlock for our catchers. How if somebody's late with getting the ball up? How do you help that? I think you want it to happen. They want you want to figure it out for them naturally. So throwing them some heavy balls, and and when they're kids, they got to get the ball to a, a certain spot. Um, putting them in some specific drills that are going to use the athleticism that aren't going to allow them to be as controlled. So if I want them to get the ball up, I'm going to add a little bit more chaos to the actual drill to see if the body can self-organize and get to where it needs to be. Um, I think that's if we, anything we can do that we can get there naturally. I think a lot of throwing stuff happens when guys are trying to do unnatural movements. 
You know, I've always had a guy like you go down to the river and you pick up a rock and you go ahead and skip it across. Guys look pretty good. My, my, you know, seven-year-old go down there and look pretty good. And then all of a sudden he gets in the baseball field and he's doing, you know, weird things. And you're like, what, what are you doing? I'm supposed to do that. I'm like, Tommy, just pick it up and, and throw it and, and be natural. So I lean toward that quite a bit. That's also a barrier of entry in getting scouted and, and signed, correct, too, is the arm action piece. I mean, scouts yeah. are scouts are going to cross. If catcher, long arm action, whatever it is, scouts are going to cross those guys off before they even get to you. So you don't have to worry about that as much. Not like the Yeah, the that's, guys. that's the thing on, on pro ball is like uh, usually. They clean a lot of that up for you. Yeah. <laughs> the scouts do. Yeah. If I got a guy that comes to me and, and needs to reorganize an, an arm action or a release point, we're, it's gonna. It can be done. It just it takes a lot of work, and it it's was just gonna take a lot side, of man. It's all front yeah. side. That's the crazy thing is, coaches listening in. If you want to clean somebody's arm up, you got to clean their front side up. So you know, equal and opposite. The the back's gonna match the front. So if you're trying to shorten up the back, you better shorten up the front. I like it. That's a good stuff. Hey, with your training staff, I mean catchers get beat up. So. Yeah. They catch a lot. They get beat up. They got to block. So, what kind of recovery modalities are are they using after game? Yeah. So, with the Red Sox so far this year, it's been very, uh, it's been really cool. Just the relationship that our players have with um, our AT and with our strength. Um, you know, it is just a part of what they do, and 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 it is not looked down upon. So, they're in the training room every day, and they're they do the, ice baths. Wait, yeah, some more guys do. Yeah. What about norm attacks or the compression on the legs? Yep, yep, all of, all of the above. Um, so w- with it, I think everybody like is different. I'm gonna not gonna lie. Like at the individual levels, I'm leave it up to our AT staff and our strength staff to be able to to put a plan in place for each of our guys. But they they're in there every day. They're going through the correctives in, in the weight room. They're going through the stretches uh, in the AT room. Um, they're being very communicative to um, our AT staff, which has been really cool to to see. Sometimes there can be stigmas about being in the AT room, they're being you know bringing something up. Oh, you're going to put them on the on the shelf, and I think that Boston does a really really good job of getting rid of that stigma um, and working with the players. And as a result, I think our guys um, have better routines and processes and and getting in there and, and doing what they need to do to be on the field that night. So your guy, your main catcher is going four or five days game. When do they lift? Uh, we lift every day. So you guys lift every day. How, how is yeah. that set up? So obviously it's six days. They get one day off. So those six days, mm-hmm. is it like three lower, three upper? Or is it full body? You know, do, do you know like how, how that week is set up for them with the six no, day week? No, I, I don't. They get in every day. They go through a kind of extensive uh, – program to get themselves ready um, and then hit some lifting part in it. And it's kind of more maintenance than, than yeah, anything. Yeah, it's just a reset, I think. Uh-huh. Like, just get the body moving, get some mobility stuff going. It's just a way to kind of get the body reset and rejuvenated for the next game. And it, it, it it's where you fall into. That's what I love about professional baseball is like everybody has an individual plan and from AT to strength, to defense, to offense. And so it's like, what is, what is, what is his objective? What is he trying to get done? Does he need to put a little bit of weight on? So his, his weight lifting is going to be a little bit heavier. Is this guy need to slim down a little bit, lean down? So whatever it may be, they're going to have to 
address those individually. So the process, the plan is put in place and then we individualize within it. Every team have a nutritionist with them? Yeah. Love it. Yeah, Boston Boston's that's a really big cool. One for me too is is I think so, that's changed minor league baseball for the better. Is it seems like everybody's got a nutritionist with them now. Yeah, I think we're, right now we've have, we've have three um and I was just down in in Greenville last week and um one of ours was there and just really good job of just educating the players and sitting down and having one-on-ones and just, and we had talked about it earlier. I wish I was better with, with my body. And I think to the education part of it was, was big. And so if you could educate these guys on, you know, what it is we should be, how often we should be eating, what's your goal, what are we trying to do? Um, and I think they do a nice job of that. What separates catchers that make it to the big leagues and the ones that don't? It's a little bit luck, right? You, I, 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 I can't give you the sexy answer because can you hit like that? At the end of the day, you have to be able to hit like you I have know. to be able to hit. Yeah. So, I mean, if you go and look at the big leagues right now, even our guys, even the guys. The are journeyman catcher is not a thing anymore. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, I think about yeah, some of the old school guys that, you know, Maddox had his own guy. He couldn't hit a lick, but he had his own guy. It just seemed like you can't do that anymore. But you know what? Even I would, I would venture, I would make the assumption and then we'd have to go back and look at it that that guy coming up hit in the minor leagues. That's, that, that's my thing is like, we have some guys that, you know, can, can really catch. You look in the big leagues, they can really catch and they're not a great hitter. You're like, Oh, that guy can't hit. Go look at his minor league stats. He's going to be usually upper half of the, of the team in, in all offensive categories and most offensive categories. Um, and so, yeah, that was we, Sal. We, Sal was that, yeah. I mean, he caught, you know, I think uh, for 18 different teams, and his offensive numbers in the big leagues were just okay. But that guy one year led all of baseball in home runs in AAA. He had 42 home runs in AAA. Yep, there and, you go. And his offensive numbers were just okay but he at the big leagues. But he had 42 home runs. He led all of baseball one year in the minors. Yeah. The, kind of the, the assumption is when you get to the big leagues, you're going to be able to catch the ball. Right? So, like, if you can hit – and then can can you call can you call a good game now that you can't quantify that right now that's kind of where everyone's trying to look and figure out how to quantify it and people can say they have and maybe you can maybe you can't I don't necessarily believe that you can but you can look at a guy pitching staff likes to throw to him seems to get good results every time he goes out there whether it's a placebo effect or not that that's that's a that's a that's a thing for you know uh, staffs liking to throw to a guy. So I think that that's plays a momentum into it. thing. You get some momentum yeah. going. Okay, that guy's catching well. Pitchers are pitching well. We're winning. You just build momentum with guys. Yeah, I mean, look at Kurt Suzuki. That guy kept finding jobs and jobs and jobs. Like metric wise, wasn't a, wasn't great metrically receiving the ball, but did a lot for staffs and you know was always the there winner. and won a World the Series, College yeah. World Series MVP. Yeah, you know, winner. Who's the best catcher you've coached so far? Man, good one. Oh, I'm thinking back through guys. I wasn't ready for this one. Um, probably like so. Now got to play with him and then quote unquote coach him in in, in seventeen. But uh, Kyle Higashioka for the for the Yankees, uh, just an uber gifted receiver of the baseball. You know some of the things he does that like you. Can't, can't really teach um and you know he's always been a really really good receiver um so he's always he's right at the top of the list of guys that i just got to watch and it was it was fun to watch him but like 
I come through, there was there was quite a few guys I played with that were um, that I got to come up with that were good. You know, Gary Sanchez um, coming up. That guy was as gifted as as they come. I was going to ask you about Gary good. just because he got so much play from them going one knee down with him. You know that, that I think that was two years ago. Correct? Everybody was all over what he was doing with his catching. Yeah, yeah, he was he was as gifted as as, as you can be coming up through. Um, he also, you know, been catching since he was 15. There's a lot of wear and tear uh, on those knees. Um, the bat slowed up a little bit and was having a hard time catching up to fastballs. And so you say what you want about the catching. If he was still popping off for 30 or 40 a year, you wouldn't be talking as much about the catching. So, um, you know, big arm there. And But, you know, guys coming up through, J.R. Murphy had a cup of coffee with a, a few different teams, and, and we came up together and, and – um, also, Romine kicked around for a long time. Uh, um, you know, pretty good uh, backup there. So, just some guys that were always around that were really good. But Higgy was always the top list. You know, being competitive in the minor leagues as a player, but you look and you see guys. You know, how do you get over that a little bit, or or is that even a thing because you're competitive, or like, okay, maybe I'm not as good as that that guy. Yeah, I think that is where that's where guys end up getting to and it and it it hurts them the guys that can just accept the fact of like uh that guy may be better than me may, maybe not but i'm gonna go about my business i'm gonna take care of myself he could be way uber talented but the guys that get to the big leagues are the guys that go out there and do it consistently every day and do it at a consistently high level but the guys that are uber talented that go out and and, and post once or twice a week um, you want the guy that's going to be the big leads that goes out there and is, you know, three, four times a week and you know exactly what you're going to get. Um, those are the guys that, that make it. So when you're evaluating yourself against others, sure. I think it's, it's a good self-evaluation tool, but you have to be comfortable with who you are and what you do and then dominate what you're good at. I just wanted to win. Like, I, I think that helped me because I was, I was dumb in that way in a good way. I didn't really pay attention to other players as much. But I also grew up in an era where there was no internet, no computer, and so you didn't <laughs> see stats as much, and you didn't really pay attention to it. You just went out and played. And, you know, I think that's the hard thing with this generation of players is, like, everybody knows who everybody is. Yeah. And there might be a lot of hype on a guy. Whether he's good or not, there might be some hype on a guy. That's got to get in – that's got to get in your brain somewhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I guess the way that we look at it is we're going to – show you what you're evaluated on so you know exactly what you're evaluated on we have leaderboards guys can see where they're at so then they can self-evaluate from there um you know if you aren't up at the top of leaderboards what do you need to do to to get up there what do you need to do right it's not about jumping other guys like what do you need this is where you are at how do you get better how can we get you better um so I think trying to get rid of some of that noise, but it's hard to open up TikTok or Instagram or whatever it may be. And you only see the good things. You see the the guy hitting a homer, throwing a dude out, and you didn't see that he was actually one for five with four Ks and he hit a home run, right? <laughs> so, or he was, you know, they had 10 stolen bases and he threw one guy out and that's one you see. Um, so getting rid, of the, getting rid of the noise, which is hard, um, but showing them exactly what they're evaluated on and then what, what and how we can get better. Do you have a fail forward moment? Do you have something you thought was going to sidetrack you, but looking back now was one of the better things that happened to you? Man, um, my entire college career is that does that count? Heck yeah! I uh, yeah. No, my to be honest with you, the biggest one was uh, when I was a, a 
sophomore in college, um, come off uh, a disappointing college season, went, had a good summer, supposed to go out to the Cape in, in uh, my sophomore year, um, battling a, a thumb injury kind of most of the year, my sophomore year, <clears throat> and uh, had to play some outfield, and but hit well. <clears throat> and then um, tore my knee, <clears throat> excuse me, tore my knee the last uh, series against uh, – Ohio State toward meniscus. And then I wasn't able to go out to the Cape and it just was like, I just kind of was like, felt, yeah, I felt lost, felt really, really lost. I was like, I, I just don't know if this is all going to work out the way I had thought about. And you played uh, for the Gems freshman summer, right? And then I think yeah, you were Quincy. supposed to go to Falmouth. Then uh, Bourne. Born. Was it Bourne? Oh, that's right. Yep. Harvey Shapiro. That's yeah, right. Harvey. Supposed to go to Bourne. Yeah. And I think Kay Hoff went out there too. He did. Yeah, I remember that. Led and the and I was pulling for you, too, and that's why I was so happy that you got a chance to to sign because um, yeah. I, I worked my tail off on that. And so when I got that call from you and the Yankees that they were going to sign you, like that was one of – that's like the greatest thing about coaching is when your players get opportunities. They deserve opportunities because if, if you were a D-bag in college, <laughs> I would have never made those – I'm serious, like, you know – any players listening in, be good to your coaches and, and treat them right because at some point you're going to need them to, to help you. It might be get a job, um, but for guys like you, it's to help you get signed because you're going to work the phones with the scouts to, to sign guys. No, no different than uh, in pro ball when you get to send somebody up on a promotion that's just, you know, it's a good dude and, and it's been playing well. That Those are fun, man. They just to see the excitement in their eyes. It, and, you know, just realize that they're one step closer and you got to just be any small part of that is really cool. Any resources you're diving into that you feel like might help some coaches listening in? Man, I feel like, like sometimes I'm just swimming right now trying to, to keep my head above uh, above water. Um, but, you know, for me, trying to learn how to coach our coaches, right, just be better. This is the first time on, on my side of it of, and not trying to uh, overcomplicate things. So, like, you know, I'd, I'd read it a long time ago. I revisited not too long ago as well. But the, just the inner game of tennis, it's it's just – it's a really, really good – it's yeah, it's just really, really, really good. Keep it simple. Um, you Are know, you reading stay any out management of the way. books? Are you, no, you throw me some. Uh, well, well I'll, oh, man, there's so many good ones. I really like Help the Helper. I think Help the Helper yeah. is a phenomenal book on getting people to buy into something bigger than themselves. But – I do read more business books now than, than I ever have. And I did a little bit just to get out of my comfort zone, but there's, there's a lot of really uh, Simon Sinek, uh, really good. Any of Simon Sinek's books are, are really good. And he's huge in the, the management piece about, especially dealing with employees. Uh, Simon Sinek's books are, are really good. I can't remember yep. off the top of my head um, right what they down. are, but yeah, it's, it's S I N E K. Uh, anything that you would pick up from him. He's actually all over social. You see snippets of him on TikTok and Insta and, and Twitter. He's really good. He's He's been around for a while. But, yeah, I, I really like his books. What about nice. uh, your schedule's insane, so do you have any routines? I mean, you're going to get burned out if you don't have routines. Do you have any routines? Yeah, I think my routines on the road are really, really good. It's trying to figure out that routine at, at home. Uh, that's the tough part, especially now that – Kids are, are close to being out of school. I think they got like a month left or whatever it is. But um, on the yeah on the, on the road, it, it's it's nice, man. I get up in the morning, have a cup of coffee, um, you know, check emails, read some game reports, 
then I go through um, any odds and ends things I need to get done or want to get done for the day. Um, end up watching all of our catchers, you know, receptions, you know, in about an hour, hour, hour and a half, 10, 1130. And then, um, grab some lunch, head to the field, um, work with the guys and then the coach of the field, do a little bit uh, after that, and then uh, watch the game, come home. I throw out a best reception of uh, – or the best caught game the night before. I sent out a, a video, a little hype video for the, for the guys just to, again, kind of prioritize what, what we think is super important in receiving, and the guys like to see uh, if, if if they won the night of, uh, in the org. And so I send that out to the guys and – and we do it all over again. You don't have to write reports like managers have to write reports, correct? Uh, we 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 do reports once we leave the affiliate. So once I do a visit and I leave, there is a, a report, an overall report that we'll do on on the visit. Was that your biggest job as a manager last year? Was writing reports? No, um, the Yankees had done away with reports. Everything was automated. So no, the biggest job was running running the affiliate just making sure every everything was lined up schedule was buttoned up everybody was you know getting exactly what they needed to do and we were hitting on um all our player plans and and our objectives for those guys that all fell on the the manager yeah this is uh, one of my favorite months because i get to start traveling again so it, i have go. two times of the year where it actually feels like coaching and recruiting again may because i'm going to the nai Division two junior college, uh, Division three World Series, and then the College World Series, and then the fall Barnstormers. That's my two times of the year where I feel like I'm coaching again. And I love I love being in the hotel. And I'm driving yeah. my wife and, and daughter Nora crazy right now. So <laughs> Jackson's I mean, out of the house finally, so he, he doesn't have to deal with me anymore. But I'm driving Amy and Nora crazy. I'm uh, I've been around too much, so it's <laughs> Amen. I'm 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 with you. I don't know what it is. I I Living out of a hotel, living out of a suitcase, like it, that doesn't bother me. I, it's probably why I'm still doing what I do. I, I really enjoy being on the road. I, I enjoy being in the clubhouse. I enjoy, you know, talking shop and being with the guys. So and being able to get home and a little bit more. Being in the car for me is a huge one. I, I've spent almost my entire life in a vehicle. So I just feel at home driving. Luckily, we're 20 minutes away from work. So I still get in the time. But like when I'm going to watch games now, it just feels like recruiting again where my brain will turn on because I spent so much time in the car calling recruits and coaches and whatever. It just, my brain turns on in a good way when I'm in the vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. What are some I, final I thoughts it. or something I should have asked you that I didn't? Um, I guess. I mean, for anybody listening in, what, what would you like to tell them? About that? Yeah. That like, you know, bet, bet on bet on yourself i everybody you know there's people out there that know more than you know less than you like we talked about a little bit earlier of, of not comparing yourself uh, to others own what you do own your process you know dominate what you're good at um and bet on yourself um you know it took me a little bit to to find my voice as a, as i was coming up through as, as a player and, and as a coach and i feel like i'm coming into my own a little bit on on that and uh very comfortable with who i am and and, and the shortcomings that that come with it and i'm, I'm okay with that and, and always striving to get better and um you know just supremely confident you know right now just in my own skin and so just bet on yourselves and and put yourself out there um 
because this is a big community and people are will always want to help. How are you able to stay patient with that? I mean, I, I, we all go through that on our path where I feel like maybe I should be higher up than I am right now. And that's not, that's not always a good thing because if you get something too early, you're going to be out of a job. How are you able to stay patient with that and just continue to just work? Yeah, we, we had conversations about this. I've, I, I've, you know, I've talked to you in the past about just kind of frustrated at times of where I was, but Mine is don't get out. Like, don't get out. I think people make that, people make that, that mistake. Like, don't get out. Like you you might think that you deserve more or you should be in a higher position. Don't leave. Do not get out. Once you get out, it's almost impossible to get back in. Do not get out. Just keep, keep working as hard as you possibly can. And then you're going to look back in five years and figure out like, okay, the path was set up for me the way it was supposed to be set up. I didn't see that. I didn't see that this was the way it was supposed to be. I thought it should be something completely different. But the universe has that way of of showing you if you just keep working hard, you're going to end up probably in a better situation than the one that you ex- expected or felt like you deserved. No doubt. No doubt. Like I thought I was ready for this position three years ago, three years ago, and I wasn't. Looking back on that, I was not, you know, even now I'm, I'm more well-equipped to, to handle this position, you know, and you were learning on the, learning on the fly on some of this stuff, but I was not ready. I thought I was, I wasn't. So I think yeah, I th- just having that patience and, and having a, a wife that was very supportive and, and had to listen into, listen to me complain a little bit, uh, but offering some good perspective. Um, and then also giving, uh, give me good advice and, and the push to, uh, take a leap this off season. And it, uh, it worked out. Actually, one last question for anybody that hasn't been to the ABCA convention, would you explain to them why they should come to the ABCA convention? It's awesome. It is. <laughs> it's awesome. It, no, it's, it, I, I love it. It's one the, the information from a high school coach to a professional coach and everywhere in between just the, what you can take away from things is, is fantastic, but just the, the community and the just sharing of information and the people that go there that, are like-minded that just want to, that want to get better and they want to learn and they want to work. And um, it's, it's cool. It's a, it's a fun atmosphere and it's a huge community and everybody is accepted. And, you know, I started going in in 20, was it 2020 when, when I had spoke and uh, first time and every year I re up and I re up for two more years. So um, I love it. I'm going to continue to do it. So I appreciate you for pushing on me to, to get into it. All right, Tyson, thanks for your time. Appreciate you. Love you. Tell Holly I said, hey, she's a leatherneck, the WID yeah. leatherneck. So that's the only thing I really knew about the leathernecks is that Tyson would go see Holly uh, when he had time at Iowa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so appreciate yeah. you, my friend. Awesome. Love you, coach. Thank you. As a coach, you want all your players to be successful after they leave your program. So proud of Tyson and what he's been able to accomplish in his career. Thanks again to Antonio Walker, Jim Richardson, John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West in the ABCA office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at CoachB underscore ABCA, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you.
set me free.